Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. So when we started, uh, when we planted Southside, um, we made a point to create an atmosphere and create a church um, where we were focusing on those things that only God can accomplish. So in, in doing that, we've decided to intentionally be able to, at times, sacrifice excellence in other areas. And uh, one of the one of the things that sometimes happens is we have glitches in technology, and um, sometimes Greg forgets to print the new prayer in the bulletin, and Alex just covered me beautifully in front of everyone, and you covered me, man. You made me look good. You made me look good. You, you didn't blame it on me. You could have, see? So, and, and the, sometimes the message doesn't come together, and you go up and preach, and it feels half-baked which is where we're at today. And it's ironic that we ended that song singing over and over, I depend on you, I depend on you, I depend on you, because we're not going to be a church ever that focuses on production excellence. We want to do it well to the point where it's not distracting most of the time, but we're not going to focus on production excellence because we want to focus on other things like loving one another well. And that's the type of community that we want to be a part of. So sometimes things don't come together. And I'm fine with it. Hope you are too. Um, my neighbor has an incredible yard. It's amazing. And I think I've talked about it before. Like the grass, it's the one across the street. If you know where I live, across the street, there's this little brick house, and it's really just beautiful. Like the grass is so green. And it's all the same length all the time. I'm like, do you, I'm asking my neighbor, do you have turf? Like, how is that? that? How is that possible? He mows it like every third day or something. And it, his, his hedges are always trimmed immaculately. And his tree is always trimmed immaculately. They're always building new planters and things and doing things to their concrete to make it look beautiful. And then I'm looking at my, I'm like, you got to stop, man. You're making me look really, really bad here. He's like, I'm retired, don't worry about it. And um, I heard a pastor once in a message um, say, someone told him once, I wish that my yard, I wish that my yard looked like that yard. I wish that, that my neighbor's yard was my yard. And the pastor said, the problem is, in a year, his yard's going to look like your yard looks now. Because it takes upkeep and maintenance, and attention, and a type of attention I just don't, uh, I don't want to give to my yard. So there's a principle in Scripture, because that's true across the board, there's a principle in Scripture about stewardship. And it's given to us in Genesis 1.28, God creates people and he puts them in a garden and says, you know, it's yours. One study Bible says that uh, we were instructed to rule creation as benevolent kings because we were made in the image of God who's sovereign king over the universe and, and we were kind of vice regents, people who act on behalf of an authority. And so we were made benevolent kings or vice regents over creation 
And our job is to use the raw material of creation to make life good for us and others. So when we're, I'm doing premarital counseling with people, I say, now you guys have not only your stuff, but the other person's stuff is now legally yours. And your job is to use all the raw material that you have, whether that's a backyard, a fire pit, a house, books, whatever. Your job is to use all the raw material of your life together and use them, put them together in such a way creatively as to make life good for yourself and other people and bless other people. So that's the mandate. That's what we were told to do from the very beginning. And we're not great stewards. Um... I was, uh, several years ago, someone told me, if you ever get a chance to be in this guy's discipleship group, it's just a group that meets and talks about scripture and what it looks like to follow Jesus together, um, he said, if you ever get a chance to be a part of this guy's discipleship group, you got to do it. You got to, whatever changes or adjustments you need to make in your life, do it because it's going to be worth it and it will change your life, I promise you. And he only invites certain people, you know, every couple years, so... If you're invited, just trust me. So I was invited to be a part of this guy's group. He met in Portage Lakes in Akron uh, in the home where he was living. And uh, we met at 6 a.m. like every Thursday morning. And there was five guys. And I went there. And he would always have breakfast ready for us. Like not just a, like a banana bagel. Like that's, that's weak. I mean, he had this, ri- like he had been up cooking like casseroles, bacon, just everything. He always had that ready for us. And this... I was teaching us how to be good stewards, and it was people who were going into ministry or who were, were in ministry, they were young pastors, and he was trying to teach us how to steward a church wisely. And one of the groups, this is legendary, I wish he had done it for us, but he didn't. I think he only does things once. But he gave this group, the first meeting, he gave them everybody in the group a tomato plant. And at the end of their sessions, like, you know, Six months later or whatever, he had him bring the tomato plant, or it wasn't that long. He had to bring the tomato plant back, and he wanted to see the tomato plant. And he would always say, you want to steward a church? The tomato plant didn't even survive under your care. Like, there's no, there's no fruit. I mean, there's nothing happening. This is, you're not ready yet. And it was a really good object lesson. That we are called to be stewards. Now, the same principle is true when someone is given the responsibility to steward a community of people, whether that's a team or a company or a city. And one of the things that you look for, one of the signs that someone, that a team, an organization, a community is being stewarded well and wisely is there's a sense of deep unity. Now, we happen to be living in a world that's pretty uh, fragmented and splintered. Um, and there isn't even a sense of unity, even among individual nations. And God told us ahead of time this would happen. He said in Matthew 24, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. We're living in a fragmented, splintered world. And the earth is experiencing these birth pains which means that something new and better is going to be birthed out of all of this. Let's make this real. Maybe this, you're a family and you're living in your apartment in the Ukraine right now and you're with your family huddled together and everywhere around you is getting shelled. And where do you put your hope? 
Or you're sitting here in your home in Worcester and you're with your family and you're watching the news and, and you're looking at the, you know, the state of our own nation and you're, you're, you're feeling like the, the global community is getting more and more fragile and more and more divided and more and more unsafe. Where do you put your hope? A pastor mentor of mine in a, in a sermon said he, he feels like God is in the process of shaking things up so that we let go of our artificial securities. Because if you're waiting for a person to come into power who's gonna fix all of this mess, you're either massively overestimating the wisdom, capacity, and power of a person or massively underestimating the mess we've gotten ourselves into. Because you could put the wisest person in the world, in the seat of sovereign authority over a nation, and he's gonna find a way to screw it up, or she's gonna find a way to screw it up. Solomon was the wisest person who ever lived. He was put in charge of the nation of Israel. And a minute after he died, the kingdom divided. (laughs) His son took over, his son was arrogant. And mainly the kingdom divided because of some of Solomon's own personal failings. There's no man or woman wise enough, there's no military power strong enough, there's no political system integrated enough to be able to fix the mess we've gotten ourselves into. That's all we have for today. Would you stand with me and pray? (laughs) That's as far as I got my message, so we're going to wing it from here. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I got a little bit further. The question isn't a small one, is it? Is global peace possible? We're walking through Ephesians, and today's passage addresses this question. In Ephesians, this passage that we're going to look through, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 10, it, it kind of points us backwards to a time when creation was, in fact, together under the kingly rule of God. There was a time at the beginning when the world, the global community, was united under God's care. Now, it was a population of two, but they were married, so there's conflict. I mean, it's just like they screwed it up and there was only two of them. So to think that we can somehow, with all the complexity and diversity, bring together even a small community so that we're all on the same page, united, is impossible apart from, apart from the spirit we're going to learn. So this passage kind of looks backwards, but it also points forward to a future hope. Now, the meat of this teaching is going to come from verse 10, but we're going to start with verse 3, so I'm just going to start reading. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 10. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. That same pastor who's a mentor of mine also said this in a message. He said, God had a rescue plan in place before the accident occurred. That's what he's saying. Before the foundation of the world, God had a plan. God knew we were gonna make a wreck of things. And he knew exactly where the wreck was gonna happen. 
And not, he, he, it wasn't enough for him just to put an ambulance at the site, at the scene of the future wreck. He actually built a, a, hospitable, a hospital at the scene of the future wreck. He was above and beyond prepared for what we were going to do. There are algorithms of God's sovereign grace at work that we know nothing about, that are impossible to trace. He was ready, he is ready for the mess we've made, and he has a plan, and he's already working it. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. This is absolutely brilliant. Are you seeing what God's doing? He's at work right now creating this subversive kingdom whose citizens are primarily known for their love. But this is, here's the brilliant part in this passage. The citizens of this kingdom are not mere citizens. They're also sons and daughters. In other words, what holds God's kingdom together is not an, an external document outside of us. It's, it's not a constitution that holds this nation, this new kingdom together. It's familial love where we are united together in Christ. You know, the Bible sometimes speaks in terms of spiritual warfare. So if you want to use that analogy, one way that you could think of it is um, we were all war criminals. We were all part of a, a rebel tribe that splintered away from our leadership, and we were captured, but then forgiven. And then we were naturalized as citizens of this new kingdom. And then beyond that, we were made sons and daughters of the conquering king, not only brought into his kingdom, but brought into his family, so that all that he has is ours. And we begin to realize that this kingdom is one of love and grace, not predominantly about power. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. Let's keep this war analogy. If you go to the United States Department of Defense website, you can download for free this manual. It's a PDF manual, I think it's called the Law of War Manual. And this manual spells out, it's thick, and it teaches all of these rules of what does it look like to, to act justly even in a war. And in some ways, Scripture is like a war manual, but it's also a tactical manual. I mean, we are in the midst of spiritual warfare, and Scripture teaches us how to engage in a proper and victorious way in this war that we're a part of. But even more amazing than that, God tells us how the war is going to end. He reveals a mystery that's been hidden from the very beginning of time making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ 
as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. That's the end game. That is what God is at work doing right now. Working to unite all things together in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. One study Bible explains the passage this way. It says, the idea appears to be that the household of the cosmos has, been, has become fragmented and in disarray because the household managers allowed this to happen. That's us. That's Adam and his descendants. Christ is a faithful household manager who has come to put the fragmented household back together, especially the splintered relationships in the family of that household. Adam and Eve were made household managers of all creation. And under their care, the family was divided pretty quickly. One of their sons murdered the other one. <laughs> That's as divided as you can get. There were four people in the world, and there's all, already a casualty of war. I have a friend that uh, took over about 20 years, I think it was 2003, 2003, took over this, this basketball team, and um, this basketball team was super, super divided, super splintered. The, the coach was disgraced. He left disgraced, and, and actually, one of the players had killed one of his teammates on this team, and everyone told him, you are crazy to take this team. You're crazy to take this on. You cannot take this on. Like, nobody wants this job. That's why he got it. There's no way he'd get a job at a college that big, but nobody else wanted it. So he's like, you know what? He's a Christian. He's a really strong Christian. He said, I'm going to bring Jesus into this environment, and I'm going to focus on that even more than, like, winning. I, I want to bring the kingdom into this divided environment and just see what Jesus can do. And last year, they won the Division I NCAA championship. It was Baylor University and Scott Drew. And Scott, I know, I can tell you personally, is more about the kingdom of God than he is basketball. I promise you that because I've, I've played under his coaching. That's a miracle. Not just that they won the NCAA. That's just frosting. That's just, that's cool. But the real thing is the ministry that's happening within that team and the people that are coming into the kingdom through Scott's influence Human beings were given a shot at stewarding creation. We didn't do great. The first thing it lists in the things we're supposed to take care of is fish. How are we doing there? The promise of this passage is that through Christ, God will unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And this is a comprehensive work. This is God bringing things that are divided back into being united in every possible way, every way that the world broke when sin became part of the world, part of creation, all the ways that creation divided, he's going to reunite. And I've listed some of them in your, in your bulletin there. First, we were divided from God. What's the first question? May, uh, actually, I probably shouldn't say that. I think it's the first question. I haven't looked. What's one of the first questions God asks after sin comes into the world, you know? Where are you? Who is he looking for? Adam. The first thing that happened when sin came into the world is people were divided from God. So Adam's embarrassed and ashamed and him and 
Eve, they hide in the garden because, because something happened. They were given information. They were given experiential knowledge of good and evil that they weren't built to carry with them. And we're still experiencing the effects of that. The first thing that happens is we're divided from God. He's, he's looking for him. Adam, where are you? What's the second thing that happens? We were divided from one another. So just for the sake of drama, it's probably the second dish. What's the second question that God asks in Genesis after, where are you? Why are you hiding? Oh, Kaya, yeah, you made me look bad. So, okay, maybe it's like the third, yeah. Why are you hiding? Okay, you guys know your Bibles too well. All right, why are you hiding? Let me think if I can make up a point around that. Um, no, nah, that's good. All right, what's the third question? I don't know, I'm, I'm taking shots in the dark, but I know this is a question. Where's your brother? Remember that? He asked Cain, who killed Abel. And he's like, Cain, where's your brother? It's not like God didn't know. He knew Cain. It was a rhetorical question. And what did Cain say? Am I my brother's keeper? Hmm. So now we're divided from one another. Now we don't want to take responsibility for the good of another person or the good of another community or the good of another church or team or nation. We have to take care of us. What's the third thing? Humans were divided from animals. And this is kind of a, a, just a fun one. But the book of Isaiah gives several different snapshots of what it looks like to when Jesus comes back and we live in this uh, new created heaven and earth. Um, and it gives some really cool pictures of of animals, because there's enmity right now between us and several different types of animals. Like, we're not going to go hang out with a lion, because it'll kill us. So there's this thing between us that causes us to be aggressive to one another. And in the new creation, the book of Isaiah, it says things like, the nursing child shall play over the whole cobra. A child shall put his hand in the adder's den. That's a kind of poisonous snake. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The point is, where there's, anywhere there's division, it's going to be fixed. There's going to be unity. There's going to be aggression towards one another. Another one, creation was divided from creator. And we see, and creation didn't like it. Actually, Romans 8 said it wasn't its choice. <laughs> it was our choice. It didn't want to be divided from its creator. The creation praises God. Jesus actually said, if, if you guys don't praise, the rocks will cry out. It knows who I am. But we, creation was divided because of our mistake. Romans 8.22 says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, waiting for the sons of men to be revealed, waiting for the new kingdom to be made apparent to everyone, waiting for Jesus to return. And then nation was divided against nation. And God will reunite nations. In Revelation 7, 9, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. One day every nation will be united together as one under the sovereign rule of Jesus. You know the beautiful thing about that? We talked about this a little bit on our Wednesday night classes. They're going to maintain the distinct parts of their culture. 
they're not, we're not gonna, I don't think that when God comes back and there's a new heaven and a new earth, we're not going to all speak the same language. We're gonna, they're going to maintain the beautiful diversity of these different cultures. We're going to be united together in one kingdom, but also beautifully diverse because there's things about, um, I said Wednesday night, there's, there's things about a home church meeting right now in India and Rajasthan that we don't experience God in the way that they experience because we're Western, we just think differently. And they're going to keep that. And when we're all together with all the nations together, we're going to learn from the ways that they worship God. And it's going to make us more worshipful. And they're going to learn from ways that we worship God. And there's tribes in Zimbabwe right now that are worshiping God. And we're going to learn from them how to worship God more wholeheartedly. God's not going to make us just big one mass, you know, all of sameness. He's going to keep the diversity and use it to teach us how to praise him more wholeheartedly. Enjoy him more. Because the more diversity there is in the world, the more it reflects the beauty and the image of God. We're just one little part of his image. Isn't that amazing? Every tribe and tongue. I heard D.A. Carson talk about this once. He's a theologian. He said, so what if it takes you years to learn, you know, Mandarin Chinese takes you a million years to learn it. So what? <laughs> you got all the time in the world. So you're in that, you're that family in the Ukraine right now, and you're you're wondering where your hope is. And there's a really cool video. Um, you should you should look at it. You should look it up. It's a it's like a family or maybe a small group, and they're all gathered in a home. And there's a guy playing in a, a instrument. He's playing a guitar, and they're all singing. He will hold me fast. They're looking beyond the current kingdoms to another kingdom. That's breaking in right now. All right, this is the scary part because this is where my notes end. Um, I want to talk very quickly, very quickly, about how this is going to happen. If I mess up, Kaya, can you just, just <laughs> you can come up here, I'll give you the microphone. But I want to talk about how this is going to happen. And I've touched on this a little bit before, but this is going to happen slowly and then suddenly. How is God going to unify the world under the sovereign reign of Jesus? Slowly, then suddenly. You know, the kingdom of God is the only kingdom in all of history where it is the kingdom itself is inaugurated, is launched by the king dying for it. You know that? Jesus' inauguration ceremony was his death. It happened on the cross. And that's how the kingdom was born, as a model, an example of how to love one another sacrificially. So right now it's happening slowly. And if you are in Christ, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you are a part of this uniting people back to God and people to one another. That's part of our work. That's what we're about. And it's happening subversively. It's happening invisibly. There was a, there was a, um, a chapter in Matthew, it might be Matthew 17, where the Pharisees are asking Jesus, so where is the kingdom? Where is the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, it's not going to be like you can say, oh, there it is. Like he literally says that. It's not going to be like you can say, oh, there it is, or it's over there. You're not going to see it that way. It doesn't come that way. He says, but he said, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And some people take that to mean that it's like inside of you. It's interior. 
Well, it is, but that's not what Jesus meant. What he was saying is, it's standing right in front of you. It's me. I am the kingdom. Because wherever the king is, that's where the kingdom is. And it's the disciples. It's my followers. And you guys don't even see it. And you're the religious ones. And you don't even see it. It's right in the midst of you. You're so close. The kingdom right now, invisible, subversive, slowly covering the planet one heart at a time. That's why we make disciples. That's why we tell people about Jesus because we're reuniting people back to the king and to one another. And if you read the parables about the kingdom, a lot of them talk about this very, very slow but unstoppable growth that gains more and more and more momentum until one day Jesus shows up and then it happens suddenly. That's the loud part. That's the fireworks. That's the cosmic, like all sorts of crazy is happening. And everyone knows immediately the king has returned and every knee bows Everybody knows exactly who Jesus is. And that's what we're waiting for. We are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Right now, it happens slowly, subversively. We're playing our role. But one day, Jesus will come back, and everything on earth that divides us from one another, everything on earth that causes us to sin against one another, all of that will be removed. And all that will be left is God dividing people who are a part of his kingdom and people who choose not to be a part of his kingdom because he's not going to force anyone in. And then we're going to live together as part of his kingdom forever and ever in resurrected bodies that never age and never break down. And on a new earth that is like factory new. And we'll never bring sin into the world again. We'll never be divided again. We'll all be united together in Christ. It's going to be a heck of a day. Any questions? <laughs> why, don't you, why don't you stand with me and let's pray for real this time. <laughs> well, thanks, Lord, for uh, helping us through that teaching. And... Um, Thank you that you're doing stuff beneath the surface. That you're uniting people. We're friends with people. We'd never been, we, we there's no way we'd have ever been friends, some of us, if it wasn't for the kingdom. If it wasn't for this unexplainable union we feel with brothers and sisters in Christ. And we also want other people to be part of that. We don't want to get exclusive. We don't want it just to be us. You are an extroverted God and we want to be extroverted people who are pulling and drawing and convincing other people of your goodness by sharing the gospel, sharing the good news so that we're not just content to huddle together behind some fortress that we create and wait for you to return. We're actually about the business, about the mission of making other disciples. Would you unite us together, and would you bring more into the fold? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.